listening to Honor Roll, the only podcast that Carrie and Ryan do secretly without Jason. Super secret. I'm your host, Ryan the Curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie the Legend. Hi. And not joining us is Jason. Nope, there is no Jason in this podcast. He's neither the favorite, nor does he have a clever thing to say after he says he's the favorite. Silent. That's right. Today we are prepping to record another episode of the On a Roll podcast. But not this On a Roll podcast because we're recording it it's a different one yes right this is the secret podcast super secret we do this without jason right before he gets here all the time that's right every time we do this This and strangely enough these episodes get more downloads like a lot more a lot more okay like 70 80 percent more downloads than when jason is here recording wow it's Impressive. Look, I can't speak to how it happens. You usually can't speak at all. I just know that I've looked at the analytics, and that's the case. Oh, you've done the math? Oh, what? Math? Math? Math. Math is very subjective. It is. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, he's not here, and so instead, we're just going to tell you, we can be found at (laughs) honorrollpodcast.com. Or anywhere you can find your podcast. That could be Stitcher or iTunes or we're at patreon.com slash podcast. That's right. Uh, you can also send us an email. Uh, you can. We prefer you not to send an email to hosts at Honor Roll Podcast. We'd rather you send an email either to Ryan at Honor Roll Podcast <laughs> and I'll share it with just Carrie. Or you could send it to Carrie at Honor Roll Podcast mm. and she'll just send it to me. The problem is when you send it to hosts at Honor Roll Podcast, it goes to Jason also. And we don't want him. We don't want him to know that we do these secret Super episodes. secret. That's right. So today's topic, uh, should you choose to accept? Oh, I accept. Oh, indeed. Ooh. Well, today's topic is uh, the worst character Jason has ever been. <laughs> so let's think back uh, throughout all of the time that we've mm. been gaming with him. Um, we've played with a lot of his characters. We have. And so which character of Jason's is your least favorite? Well, let's see. There there was Claw. That's right. Claw was a get of Fenris in the werewolf game we yeah. ran. Uh, he yelled a lot. He did. He yelled a lot. Yeah. it was. He was kind of an XP whore. Yeah. He was yeah. like, look at me. I'm an angry get of Fenris. Give me XP. I'm yelling. Uh, what else? He... Also has played, uh, what's your Coterie mate's name? Mark. Mark. He plays Mark. Mark recently won the Underground Theater Award for Stupidest Name. (laughs) They were like, really, you're a vampire. You could have any name you want. You know, there's all sorts of fancy, amazing names. True. Usually it's it's your favorite color and then your favorite flower. Or Mexican food. Yeah. Right? Because there's like a nacho guy. Oh, yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but instead, or, or a Latin word, like an old Latin name. Yeah. Those are very popular as well. Uh, and instead he went with uh, Mark. Mark. He was like, oh, I could pick a good name, or I could play or this stupid just, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for those and of you at he, home, if your name is Mark, sorry, man. Kind of a lame name. Mm. No. <laughs> I mean, kidding. you know, Look, if, unless thing. you're a vampire, if you're a vampire, it's if a you're lame a vampire, name. it's a stupid name. If you're just a regular person, if you're just a pod listener, and your name listeners. happens to be Mark, you know, you didn't choose that. Your mom and, did. And more importantly, yeah, your name's Mark. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's right? awesome. You but if you're, start, you could start a band and call ooh. it Mark. Yeah. With a K. Yeah. Ooh, fancy. That's right. 
Uh, but if you're a vampire and you pick the name Mark, it's kind of dumb. That is. That's like the lamest name. Right? That's like being like Joe. Right? The vampire. Noah. Noah. You know, like yeah, Noah's not a good name. Stupid names. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, so he's got Mark. Mark is... Um, we think Mark's on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't, I, I'm not, I didn't giggle because I think being on the spectrum is funny. I giggled because I think it's funny that his character is, is on, like a vampire on the spectrum. Uh, that's almost clever. Maybe. But he missed the mark. Yeah, he missed the mark. Huh. None of us miss Mark. No. No. No, we don't miss Mark at all. It, that's really kind of it, isn't it? Isn't it just, uh, yeah, he doesn't play much. Claw. He pl- well, he plays the new werewolf game. He plays, oh, yeah. He plays Ricky fixes stuff in the new werewolf game. Yeah, he's it's, a... It's a dumb character. He's a Bonar who's got a fix-it shop, right? Right, like, oh, look at me. I'm a Bonar, and I run uh, a uh, a tow truck shop. Right. That's it's not. Original. It's not even in the tow truck museum. Right. Like, so, like, you, you missed the mark again. No joke. There's, like, a whole chapter... In the the Bonar tribe book, that's all about how, like, the most stereotypical, stupid Bonar character is one that runs a tow truck. Oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll do that. (laughs) They were like, whatever you do, don't do this. Yeah, and, and Jason, he just looked at it and he thought, well, I was thinking my Bonar might be named Mark. <laughs> and then, and Carrie, you actually told him, you said, that dude, seems like it's been done before. Dude, you've done it before. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I've done that before. What should I do? Does, and does he normally he sound like sound Mickey like Mouse? That. A lot of people don't know it, but he sounds normal on the podcast because of filters. <laughs> we apply them. We apply those filters during post. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, but, you know, he was like, okay, well, if I can't name this guy Mark, what should I name him? And uh, and we were like, I don't know. You know, you're going to have to just come up with something else. And he mm-hmm. was like, well, I could name him <laughs> Fixes Stuff. And we were like, ooh. Um, and he was like, no, look, you'll be right out of the tribe book. I'll rip it off completely. <laughs> I don't have to do a single thing and, and original. Then, and then he was like, and my parents were murdered in an alleyway. <laughs> And when I grew up, I became Werewolf Man. <laughs> you know, whatever you're really into, I suppose. Yeah, you know. Uh, if you, you know, I mean, but this is why he's the favorite, I guess. I, I guess. Because he's not offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then, so uh, let's come back to Claw. So Claw was, like, loud and and mean, and uh, he yelled at people all the time. And he wore this, like, 30-pound... Uh, Chainmail thing. He did. I mean, it was like, it was not light. No, it wasn't. And he was like, I know what I'll do to make this character original. I'll make chainmail. <laughs> so, you know, he made chainmail and he, uh, he wore it. So he wore this chainmail. Do you remember anything else about Claw? I remember how he named, he got the name. He was like, well, Mark's taken. <laughs> uh, I, I could, I could name it uh, uh, Ricky Fixes. No, I'll save that for later. That'll be That's good a good one. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, he, let's see, what's he do? And so he started going through like his mind, like what are his, what's his mm-hmm. powers? Well, he's got 
Uh, he bites people. I can name him. I can name him Bites. <laughs> I can name him Bites. Uh, what else? He also... Uh, he's got a tail. He's got a tail. I can name him Wags. I can name him Wags. Wags would be a good name for my character. <laughs> And then he was like, he started going, you know, clocking on, ticking off the powers. Uh, you know, I could call him Mother's Touch. <laughs> <laughs> and then our childhood guy was like, taken. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then finally he was like, well, uh, he's got claws. Uh, I, can, I can name him Punch. And we were like, really? You went with Punch? You could have named him anything? And then finally, he, we were like, look, dude, if you're going to name him after after how he fights, you're going to have to call him Claw. And he was like, oh, it's a moment of brilliance. <laughs> and so that's how Jason came up with the, his his first All right. character. So what else can we talk about Jason about? I don't know. Oh. Um... We could talk. I mean, so we went through. Uh, well, okay, so we've trashed all his characters. The worst character. Here. Oh, look, Jason is here. Oh, we're gonna have to go. Oh, uh, I mean, not that we're you, doing anything. You've been listening to the top secret episode of Honor Roll Podcast. I'll just switch all these switches. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Combat Rounds. Combat and Rounds? It is, yeah. Okay. We have a very, a very, very special. That's right. Special. Very special guest wow. joining us today. Uh, we you are being. no voices. You no voices? <laughs> I thought, okay. You, did you promise him that? <laughs> no, I thought we. No, continue. All right. <laughs> so we're being joined today by, by Matthew Webb. Hello, the, Matthew. The esteemed Matthew Webb. Do you prefer Matt, Matthew, you? Okay. I've played Brazilian rules before. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I survived in the old cam. <laughs> I, I once had a Brazilian something. It oh! Wasn't. The only Brazilian... We do Brazilian waxes on this show. But not... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's... So let's just start by, by asking... Tell us... T- tell the folks listening who you are. And, <laughs> who and are you? Why are you here? Why are you here? My name is Matthew Webb. I am one of the creative uh, partners at Jackalope Live Action Studios. We produce high-value, one-shot live action events in Texas and around the United States eventually. We are currently licensed with White Wolf and Cyberpunk 2020 to do their flagship, some of their flagship LARP one-shot events. And I'm currently working on The Night in Question, which is the first immersive-style, uh, rules-light horror-based sabat art set in the world of darkness. Would you say it's blockbuster? I say blockbuster very... It's, blockbuster means so many things, but I would say it's <laughs> blockbuster game, yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead and plug when it's going to be. value, one night, and it's kind of a contained experience where we're just going for a night full of craziness and blood and horror and running and screaming and followed by crazy sabbat rituals and blood fountains and blood raves. And it's pretty much if you want to be a bunch of mortals stuck in the blood rave from Blade. That sounds awesome. Oh, what weekend is it? Texas. Is it this coming up weekend? It is November 17, 2018. We currently, out of 150 tickets left, we have 30. Wow. So if you want one, then we have over 100, we're going to have over 150 participants. That's, That's a lot of sabbat. <laughs> yeah. 
have a rave site on the country outside of Austin, Texas that we're going to be doing it at. It's a big party place. It's got this great like rockabilly feel to it, and they, we can do whatever we want there. It's got like dirt, dirt and hay floors. We can spray blood all over the place. We got a whole bunch of people who do haunted houses and stuff, doing the makeup and the, oh, fun. Uh, you know, building all the props out and stuff like that. We got Peyton Mo who has been working on horror LARPs and was also one of the people who worked on uh, uh, Gerald's Ball, the the labyrinth theme ball out in Los Angeles, and who has worked on like professional like horror movie props and stuff and she's working on a lot of the like uh, prop builds we got jack weeks who's a very prominent person who's done a lot of stuff so it's going to be a, a pretty immersive experience because we're trying to what, what we're trying to do is kind of recreate the old school bodies hanging from meat hook style sabat that you really have never really able to do outside of just describing it in a LARP, we're actually going to have the visuals and the things where you have this rave party where a bunch of mortals go to and then all the tires get slashed and the Sabbat end up being there, and they're going to have a lot of fun because huh? they're having a shovel party. Well, talk to me, you know, because a lot of people might be intimidated by the idea that they're going to be attacked all night, but you uh, published an article about how it's a bespoke experience. Could you yes. talk about that yes. some? Uh, heavy cons- basically, nothing happens to you that you do not consent to. You can say, this happens to me, but I don't want to play it out. Or you can go all the way to doing full-on stage fighting, and actually we're going to have workshopping. The, the event actually starts at noon, and we have you know four or five hours of workshopping both character development and also doing the safety mechanics and also teaching people how to do basic stage fighting if they want to do the physical portion of the event. And so you can actually fall down, quote-unquote, and we'll teach you how to do that, and you get chased down, we'll have fake blood. Or you can just say, I run into the dark, I scream, and this is what happens. But nothing happens to you that you do not consent to. There's no way to force you to have an experience you don't want. And that requires, you know, you go into that game with a slightly different mentality of you're not going to survive. What you're going to have is have an office of an experience with all the other players. Would and you, you're, would going, you're there to die spectacularly because you don't have a character after this night. You have six hours. Let's have a great horror experience. Would you, would you say that this is uh, more of an experience than a game? Oh God, that's a kind of a conversation about what a freaking LARP game is. Right? Yeah, yeah. which is yeah, it's yeah. a conversation just, we've been having. That's why I asked yeah. that. It's because we've been talking a lot about the difference between a LARP game and a LARP experience. In fact, next week's episode is going to delve into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, if a game is defined as a mutual experience that has goals, I would say it is a game, but it does not have the traditional goals. In the fact that you're not trying to win, you're not trying to gain power. What you're trying to do is craft an awesome experience consensually with your friends and with the other players. And therefore, you just have a different goal. So one of the things I've actually been talking with uh, Bjarke Peterson, who is one of our partners who works at Participation Design Agency, who are the ones who actually designed Into the Line and Enlightenment and Blood, which have been the other two big White Wolf games, is that we need it's – it's about getting players – to separate the player goal from the character goal. The character goal might be to survive. The player goal is to have an awesome story. It's Therefore, getting making the character kind of sublimate to the player goal of having an awesome story is really critical to the consent-based style because there's no real winning in the consent-based style based on skill because you can just say no to everything. Congratulations. Right. You, know, yeah. you had zero experiences that night. Thanks for the 180 bucks. <laughs> right. 
may go on your way. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's and that that's kind of our whole the whole reason we do this podcast. It's kind of our 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 thing is we believe the only way to win in a, a role playing game is to have fun. Right. If you didn't enjoy it, then you lost. Right. Even if you exactly. won your character goals, if you didn't have a good time, you've 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 messed up. So if so, when somebody's character, you said the whole point is for your character to die spectacularly. So if you die spectacularly at the end of the first sixty minutes of the game, uh, what do you do the next couple of hours? Well, the point is not to die spectacularly in the first sixty seconds of the game. <laughs> Uh, there's things in place to keep that from happening and you don't have to, and you can make it to the end or you can die in the last hour. Um, you know, 1130 rolls around, you know, you know, it's going to be 30 minutes of the game. You decide to die in a monomacy fight and we got fake, uh, fire axes and stuff like that. And we're going to make it happen. That sounds and cool. You might sit out for 25 minutes, but you get to sit there and go, I just died in a freaking flaming pit monomacy fight. I'm good. I think I, I think I got my money's worth. Okay. Uh, or you might make it to the end of the night. So, and yeah, you're, um, if you're playing a mortal and a majority of the players are going to start out about mortals, you're going to die spectacularly once. And right. then you're going to go through the burial experience to get shovel headed. And then you're going to get, uh, then you're going to come back and we're going to have fun with you figuring out what you are as something less than human. That's now great. that you were not a particularly good person, most likely at the beginning of the night, because you're going to an illegal rave in the world of darkness. <laughs> but um, now you get to see what happens when a little bit of your humanity or a lot of your humanity gets stripped away after the old school Sabbat barrier ritual. Right. And we get to, we get to, you know, you get to do the kind of Buffy sort of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, losing your conscience, losing your humanity sort of thing. Sure. And you become something else. Well, I know that there's players all over the country that have been talking about this experience on my Facebook wall and how excited they are. It's some of them are even coming from Washington State and driving all the way down to play in your game. Dude, people are driving from freaking are flying from freaking Estonia. Oh, that's amazing! Mm. Oh wow! And there's some people coming from Brazil, right? Uh, I am and there's people coming from Mexico. I am surprised, and I've said this several times, but I'll repeat it. I'm surprised. A, how big the Latin American Vampire the Masquerade scene is. Yeah. And B, how I didn't know anything about it until I ran this. Really? And I'm like, oh yeah, I never. I I guess I never just paid attention to it. And then suddenly there's people from Mexico and Brazil. And I was meet, I met some of them at Gen Con, and they're 100% about it. I'm like, oh, wow. And they love this game. And I'm like, I had no, no idea you guys existed. When we were in One World by Night, we we were always surprised by how huge the Brazilian contingent was. Right? Yeah. You know, uh, when I was OST of Underground Theater, one of the things I would do to look for new chapters was just like Google groups on Facebook that had Vampire yeah. in their title. And apparently Mexico City has a gigantic independent troop there that uh, is – sounds like their culture is amazing. <laughs> like it has uh, been running forever. Like people are saying like uh, – you know, because I'm running Night in Question, which is this very kind of splatterpunk right. sort of like crazy horror, visceral horror experience. They're like, can you do this in Mexico? And I'm like, I have to figure out the logistics of that. But it sounds great. <laughs> If I'm doing it in Mexico City, I have to do Polygon. Yeah. I mean, how can I pass that up? Right. <laughs> so we also have a lot of listeners who are tabletop people, not just LARPers. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done in the tabletop industry? I actually have done nothing in the tabletop industry. Uh, really? I, so there. I thought that you had. I thought you were you were a part of uh, Vampire 5th Edition. I helped promote it, and I was one of the early reviewers of it. I was given a review copy, but I actually never wrote anything for it. All right. Have well, you, pl- you have played the new edition? 
yes, we are running the the new edition in my online game right now, Sanguinous.org, and it's going to be interesting. We're just converting over. Okay. And I really love the new system. I, I like it a lot. Um, for a larger game, because we run a large online chat game, uh, there's some mm-hmm. twe- tweaks that need to be involved where it's kind of the abstract bits need to be a little less abstract right. for a 50-person game. But um, it's really good. I really like things like the Hunger Dice. I like how humanity is handled now. And I'm really interested in seeing the Cam and the Anarch Guide, and I really hope that they come out with a Sabat Guide. Okay. I, I thought really that that was in the, uh, the works. I thought it was supposed to be released this year, isn't it? The Cam, Anarch, and Sabat Guide? Is that not No, correct? the Cam and the Anarch Guide are supposed to come out. The Sabat Guide is, I'm hoping, is on the schedule, but they haven't released, released any details yet. Okay. Well, hopefully I, it won't I, be very long. I'm guessing, can't, I mean, the, from what I saw at Gen Con, because I helped them out in the booth, basically, because, you know, we offered, and they were more than, the, right. uh, White Wolf was more than thankful for the help. Um... We turned around, and so it sold really well. So if it's selling well, I'm hoping that they'll turn around and they'll say, hey, we've committed to the Cayman Anarch book. Let's do the Sabat book, and, you know, let's look at, like, Werewolf 5. Let's look at, I hope, I hope, Mage 5. <laughs> <laughs> Mage Great. is my jam. Uh, well, the reason uh, the reason that we've got you here mostly is because you wrote an article uh, about Nerdball. <laughs> Go and ahead. so that kind of blew up for a little while, didn't it? It was it was huge. You've written some other really great articles, but Nerdball hit some nerve and it spread like wildfire. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> so, and I didn't even fit the term. No, no. Like, I, you that know, term has been going around in, in geek circles for for years. I just kind of like made it prominent right? in some ways. So tell what us saying. Tell us what Nerdball is. Oh god. So it was originally called Nerd Football, um, and when we started talking about it, it quickly started getting shortened to Nerd Ball. <laughs> and I am going to to preface this statement where I'm going to say there is nothing wrong with playing with your friends. There's nothing wrong with playing competitively. There is nothing wrong with playing to win if a game is about playing to win. Um. That is not what Nerdball is. Nerdball is not just playing optimized sheets. So Ben Morrow and Jason Morningstar started pointing out how this happens just as much in collaborative games, but it just takes different forms. And I I heartily suggest the article that Ben Morrow wrote about Nerdball as well. I don't think I've and seen that one. We'll have to make sure we look up the link after we get done with this. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it along. Thank so you. you can put it in the show notes. Um, so what it is with Nerdball... Is, is when a group of players or several groups of players form tightly knit out-of-character alliances right. that are mainly driven by out-of-character friendships and or out-of-character necessity in order to dominate the game, control the content and who's allowed to do what through in-character collaboration or end coordination. And this basically is the situation where a group of players acts more like an MMO raiding party than a uh, than a set of characters inside the collective fantasy of the game world. Yeah, and they are meant to control the game. Nerdball is not about collaborating. It's not about playing with your friends. It is not about winning. It is about the fact that this one group, through their ability to kill characters, to ostracize characters, to neuter other characters. No one is given control of the game except for them. 
I think and the worst examples you'll find are ones in which the storyteller is in some way complicit, like they're personal friends with that group as well. And, uh, or they're I've, afraid. Or they're afraid of him in some yeah. way. Like, oh, well, we'll leave the game and take half of it with us. Or they have the referee mentality. Yes. Where they feel like they can't coordinate and mm-hmm. they can't stand up to it. I will not go after the, the storyteller staff as being necessarily complicit. I have seen some Leonidas-style last stands by mm-hmm. storytelling staff against this, even in larger orgs. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry to... S- I'm sorry to say most of the time it doesn't succeed. Um, and I've seen similar ones from players. When a third, when one third of your game is in this uh, power group, let's say, and uh, you know, we, and you as a storyteller try to try to make things better, you know, you lose a third of your game if they decide to walk. That hurts your game. That's hard. Mm-hmm. And they will walk. Mm-hmm. And. What really becomes a huge problem is one nerdball team is a problem. A nerd, what I started calling a nerdball league is a disaster. Right? <laughs> yeah. And when you have the situation where you have various nerdball teams, and the thing is one nerdball team takes the field and everyone has to start playing. They either have to somehow associate themselves with a team like it, or they have to be plus start playing the other. They have to start playing one themselves. And even if they don't want to do it. Because right, otherwise they're that, not participating. Yeah. And I, I, I said in the article that if you're saying at this point you leave and you don't play anymore. If you're stubborn, you hold out like the Wolverines <laughs> <laughs> and you try. And the two things that happens to you is you either – meet a similar fate to the Wolverines and get gunned out of gunships that are totally justified by that story, I swear. Right. Or you just become another nerdball team. Yeah, absolutely. And, I've seen it happen. And the world, the tragic part is, and I've seen this happen several times, is that because the nerdball mentality becomes prominent, the original nerdball team that was all about it has left long ago, and no one wants to be playing nerdball but no one could step off of that saddle point, right? No one could step off. It's almost it's almost like a disease. It is. It is a disease. It's a it's a disease mentality, um, and it spreads like wildfire once it hits, and it's very hard to control. And the bad, the really and, bad thing too is is in an org, you end up with teams that are in different games. It can spread and become huge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the worst case I ever saw was in the bad old days. I was in uh, the Camarilla Fan Club. Now, it's now called the Mind's Eye Society. Right. Um, The Camarilla Fan Club, back in the day, had a domain here in Austin in which pretty much the entire game was a war zone. And all games were a war zone between two chapters, the Amiki Noctis and the Dark Sovereigns. And every game became a uh, fight between them. And what it was, was you had these... The Amiki Noctis were the first ones on the field. There were these very well-connected players who knew all the national staff and knew all these knew the board of directors. And they had the ability to play very powerful characters. 
And they basically treated the game as their personal playground, which is often happens with nerd balls. When you have one nerd ball team in charge, they have often very interrelated and personality conflicts. But the moment there's an outsider, that outsider is tack nuked from orbit mm -hmm. because they immediately coordinate against them. And that was what was going on with Mickey Noctis. And then the Dark Sovereigns came along. The Dark Sovereigns, from what I understand of their history, were a uh, originally an Ampguard chapter, which is the Boffer game. And they turn around and they basically say, screw these people. And they start optimizing sheets because the Mickey Noctis might be very well socially connected, but they were not very good Gumbies. They were not very good with mechanics. And so the Dark Sovereigns would kind of vacuum up everybody that these people screwed over and turn them into a way better nerd ball team. <laughs> like, way better. So at the um, beginning, that would you, feel great. We're pushing back against the bad guys, but... And it was a really easy argument to do, and they had a charismatic leader sure. and all this other kind of stuff. And what happened is, is that that started in the Camry Anarch game. Eventually, I was ADST of the World of the Apocalypse game there, and it turned... It got so bad that it started leaking into the Werewolf the Apocalypse game, which is supposedly you're all on the same side, but I was having, like, right challenges to gain rank turn into PvP combats. That's crazy. Because I mean... these players wanted to be in charge so much and had gotten so bitter about it that they started doing it. And here's the thing about nerdball teams. They often have really sad motivations. Like, you look at these people and um, I don't know how, how, whether, how PG-13 you are on this podcast. We're, we're, we're not. We're, we're good. Not. Yeah, we're good. I look at them and I say, you need to make whatever personal, financial, or sexual choices you need to make to get this out of your system. It's <laughs> more <and> healthy. <laughs> Like, if you want to get some control in your life, there's some places you can go, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can make some recommendations. There's some clubs that are, well, you can find people who are totally into this. Just please. <laughs> Stop Ooh. doing it through your freaking, like, sheet dick. Please. <laughs> I'm sorry. The salt mines are open. Oh, sure. no, I get it. I get it. You know, uh, back when I was in the old cam, we used to talk about that, like, once one person brings a bunch of cheese to game, you know, we're all stuck having to play cheese dick characters. It's, I mean, yeah, because once the war starts, your your options are leave or fight in it, and uh, we should probably all leave. <laughs> but it's hard when that's your whole community. Yeah, and it's really hard when you know you're the only one seeing the problem. Like I, often, it's really hard for the rat to see the maze. Yeah. Because yeah. to, to those yeah. those right. nerdball teams, they, they don't realize they're playing nerdball. Sometimes, sometimes they think that they're just pulling everyone together that got screwed by this other group, right? And we're just gonna you know, fortify. We're gonna make it right. Yeah. And when yeah. they play amongst themselves, they're role playing, right? Yeah, they're actually yeah. they have uh, relationships and they have mm -hmm. you know interactions. They and have emotions. real conflict between each other, right? And they and they and so you know and then like you said you know when the outsider shows up, then they all quickly turn, nuke them from orbit, and then they go back to their role playing. Yeah, and and yeah. they sit around and they say, no, we have characters with depth. Yeah. We're we're real characters. We're not just playing nerdball. We're role playing. When I was OST, one of the things I would run into a lot is. Supposedly, any vampire would betray another for a, a really high position or a, 
a, a good boon from a Justicar or something like that. But as soon as you said, I need you to betray this person that's part of your team, no, never. I won't do it. It didn't matter what you offered them. Yeah. They would never do that because they would never cross the members of their nerdball team for right. no reason. No matter and what it was. There's very human motivations for that. I mean, there I is. It's easy to come off as very judgmental and very dehumanizing about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that people want to role play with their friends. And mm-hmm. they've spent time developing a character. And they want to make sure that they have the grounds in which to do so. And they get into this kind of escalation chicken with anyone who they don't have a trust level with. And it's very hard to have a trust level in the National Org. Sure. Where they feel that their story needs to be protected, so they will end other people's stories in order to do so. So and you're the a, they want to do this story is they want to keep playing with their friends. So you're a staff member, uh, especially if you're in an org, or regardless, what do you do? Do you have any options? Do you have any ideas? Um, other than leave it all behind and run experiences that you can charge 150 bucks for. 80. <laughs> Even then, you're, 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 the thing is, is that's not a stop to it. They're seeing this in the big blockbuster games. So they what are we seeing do? this, especially in the ones that are re- repeating right. over and over again. And there's been people who have sworn off some of those blockbuster games. Because of that? About it. Wow. Because of that, because people coordinate in a different way. They coordinate in order to, even in these collaborative games, they coordinate to make their group the coolest, to kind of like, uh, to monopolize scenes. Because this isn't about killing characters. This is about control. Right. And whatever means of control exists, uh, a nerdball team can form in order to ensure that you get the experience you want at everyone, at any expense, is including this, other people's. Does this kind of touch and, on that influencer um, discussion that's been going on lately too? Like these people have an inordinate amount of control over the game because they've got fans and things like that? I think that's I, I think that's a, an issue, but frankly, um, if you're a face, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a prominent individual, it's actually usually way worse for you. Okay. Like because you you have a very wide, shallow kind of support. Sure. They have no matter how popular they are in general or in the greater geek sphere, they have 10 people who will go completely to the mattresses for them. Mm -hmm. And that mentality is really what wins usually is the, the dedication, the 24 seven optimization, uh, the, the high levels of collaboration and trust. The thing is, is that I know a lot of people, if I walked into, and I know you guys, and you guys know me from our, you know, our conversations online and stuff like that. If I walked into an org game, which you guys are running, I could probably make character ties with you. I'd probably do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If I walked up to you and I said, you know, fuck Bob over there, you'd probably go, I'm not in the mood to, to fuck up Bob. Right? <laughs> yeah, I get it. I know Bob. I don't know him that well. If you're talking about a nerdball team, usually be like, fuck up Bob over there. He's, you know, and they'd be like, sure, you know, whose car are we taking? Right? <laughs> that's, that's, so that's what you need. Right. Um, obviously, you can have social capital in these like collaborative games a little bit, but usually it's about a group of people that are willing to almost like instinctually coordinate with each other as friends and develop a pack mentality. But also, they do not appreciate that they're hurting the thing they love. Let's let's okay. go back to the beginning first, real quick. How does how does it start? Because I want this group around me protecting my character. Sure. No. <laughs> but but if I were someone who did that, like, how does this? How does it begin? Because 
it's baffling to me this idea that I could just ask even, you know, Carrie and Jason sitting here like they're my friends, right? I can't even imagine how I could just walk into a game with you guys and be like, hey, go roll Matthew's character because I don't like him. And you guys would be like, okay. You know, like, <laughs> I would laugh at your face and then tell right. you that. Yeah. Right. But I think if we can, if we can look at like maybe how does it begin? What's the seed? Yeah. What's the seed? Because, uh, you know, it's obviously difficult to to stop if it was easy to start if it was easy to end it wouldn't be the subject of blogs right right Mm -hmm. so how does it begin um i have some theories there's some things i've seen happen um it can happen various ways but ultimately it happens whenever anyone does not feel like they're getting the experience they want or feels a lack of control or a sense of grievance and so let's say you have a very copacetic, very open communication game, right? But everybody's friends with each other. Someone else comes in who's a good role player and starts gathering influence and taking prominence away from somebody. That breeds resentment. People see that their friend is hurting. They start coordinating in ways out of character or with very, very light icy justification in order to help their friend out. And their friend is bitching out of character, he's upset about it, that sort of stuff. That can form a nerve ball team. So you would say that they a lot then, of it is bleed, right? Yeah, it's very. it can be very bleedy. But it also can be like, see, the thing is, is that about nerve ball usually is, is there to cover up for a lack of control in their real life or to fulfill some other need. You can also have far more malicious versions. Like um, there's some people who just think that this is a PvP game. And you used to suck it up, and we have our team, right? Sure. I've and heard those exact words. <laughs> in a non-permadeath game, this is a less of an issue. It really isn't. Like, in Daggahir, like which is just a straight-up like medieval padded combat game, this is not an issue. You have fighter companies, their teams, they're going at it. That's fine. That's like, that's, it's a, basically a sport, right? And in, in this case, the nerdball teams aren't an issue because that is just straight-up 100% team combat. Um, but if you have people with the same mentality walk into, say, a vampire game, which is supposed to be about story and people are expecting story, and people aren't don't have the expectations that this is some kind of weird, like, sport, um, you can suddenly have a nerdball team where all the people who are wanting story are faced with these people who are just like, well, the prince is the highest position, so obviously... Winning the game is be- one of us being Prince. So we have good enough sheets, so we're just going to kill Prince in the middle of court. And we don't, we're allowed to do this. We can do it. So we're going to do it because that's how you win. So it's, um, it's either yeah. intentional or accidental, typically. And it sounds like in, in the intentional is pretty, pretty clear, you know, and then the unintentional is, is more, uh, just a, a human relationship thing that happens in any kind of community. I mean, I have uh, my best friend Rob is is pretty uh, he's pretty successful in a very visible way. People uh, he's very very well known around town, and so whenever he does anything, it's in the paper and everyone knows about it. and And so people hate him for no other reason than because he's he's, he's visibly succeeding. He's Cleveland things. famous. How right? dare he? <laughs> yeah. And so and and so I imagine it's kind of that same thing in a LARP. Like I I 
am so frustrated with the fact that Jason's character always succeeds at this stuff. Not because Jason's doing anything special, it's just, I'm not. Yeah. I, that can be part of it. Uh, another thing which caused the Nerdball team to go is somebody dies. And that before this, it was completely story-driven. This person made mistakes. This person does That person doesn't quite think it's fair. Right. So he brings... So what's the reaction? If you're playing a fluff sheet, which is my term for sure. sheets that have things like Craft 7 and, and a whole bunch of crap that you don't really need in order to really do it. Um, That's what me and Carrie fl- like. If you're playing a fluff sheet, um, you know, I'm an influence monkey, Right. Uh, that's not really competitive in that way. Yeah, and you get rolled. What is the natural reaction? Yeah, my next, next character. My next character has you know all twelve physical traits and starts to have all the dodges. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, a- all the dodges. He's brawl. He does ag. He does all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'll I'll fucking I'll admit this right now. My flushy got rolled, and my immediate reaction to that environment is to harden up. It's like some you know. It's it's like evolutionary pressure, right? So what did I what did I bring back in? I brought back in something that you have, you would have to be scared of, yep. In order to take out, which doesn't really work because that you know you're still a target and five on one just never works out. That's right. right. But um, the the thing is, is that suddenly you have people playing hardball, right? Now, if this is already happening in nerdball, you know this is just a natural reaction. If you have somebody who simply thinks they got screwed over because they or they you know they think that a group of friends threw them over maybe that did happen maybe there was a bias towards people who are more uh who are more established right maybe they had friends that you didn't maybe they leverage connections that you can't have you'll come in and you'll start talking to the rest of the like you know the 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 dregs and you'll start saying, you know what, screw these guys. You know, let's form up. And you can form up a team. And then suddenly the people who are just here to role play were like, dude, you like broke the masquerade three times and you set the sheriff on fire. <laughs> we, yeah, we, 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 we have to kill you. And you think that was unfair for whatever reason. But now you're coming in and you're saying, you know, you got this never again mentality. And we have to, we now have to load up because you're taking, we, we send people out to just enforce lore to do world stuff. And you've decided that you get to ignore that with your sheets. And we're not getting the support we need from the ST staff to enforce the lore. And I'm going to tell you, as a staff member, it can be really hard to make the players enforce the lore <laughs> because they don't want to kill their right. friends. They don't want to kill these people they know. Or then if they do, there's hard feelings. And let's be honest, lore yeah. is, is one of the uh, most subjective mechanics in almost any system. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's very difficult because the only way to really mechan- mechanize lore is to actually list every single possible fact about every single topic that you could take uh, Which is a lore in yeah. and then give it a number. <laughs> they did and it in the, the old thing game. about is like you have to have some sort of interpretation. Right. And, of course, there's some interpretations that are just wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. there, there's some interpretations which are just completely out of left field. There are, there's not a, there are no all-on-a-path packs of Camarilla. There are no high-humanity Golconda Sinker Sabat as, like, a dominant group openly. There is not this, there is not that. There are not 
I'm not that I'm not so sure guy is that great werewolves. Right. You know, <laughs> these people don't exist. Right. And but some people always gotta ice skate uphill. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they we'll, get mad. We'll t- yeah. How and dare you kill my Golconda Seeker? <laughs> well, you're in this a bot. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and they want to tell their special, you know, special little story. Right. And you know, they're not that good at it. <laughs> I mean, that's sometimes how it happens, and sometimes well, they just get caught. I also think they want too, to keep playing their character. Yeah, I also think too that people need to be aware, like characters like that are great for tabletop. That's true. They're not always great for LARPers. They're just, you know, like, a lot of these problems are people want to play tabletop characters in LARPs, and then that starts the whole drama of needing a nerd ball team. Yeah, exceptions to to the rules or exceptions to the genre, Mm -hmm. they they tend to play better in a tabletop game than in a game with uh, 300 people across the U.S. or whatever. I, I have always had more fun playing traditionalists in LARP and outsiders in tabletop. Yep. So yeah, because you can be the exception to the rule. Yeah, without, there's only six of us here. We can do whatever we want. Right. <laughs> yeah. You so, can have the like miraculous like saves and the escapes for the sewers and all that kind of stuff and live the life of crime and have, you know, the the NPCs not put two and two together quite right. You can have all that kind of stuff. But in a tabletop in a in a like, this is always a problem with leadership in frickin' LARPs in general, is, like, if I don't catch you for making these blatant moves, I'm an idiot. Right. Because I have to make these I decisions. for it. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Would you say and that... I worked hard to get this position, and I don't want to lose it just because you decided that you wanted to be, <laughs> be the person that I don't catch. Right. <laughs> Maybe nerdball teams are frustrated table talkers. <laughs> that's probably a variation. There's so many variations right. of this, though. It just is hard to. It's it's it is not the product of malice. It is not the product of nasty behavior. I think some people have gotten so entrenched in this mentality, and they've gotten so defensive about it that it's become part of their identity. So they yeah. have become very you know it's like the Matrix, right? They right. become so committed to the system, they will fight to preserve it, right? Um, but I don't. I think it's mainly a consequence of the nature of human interaction and the nature of like systems where people can gain control as PCs and it requires a social, you ask how the staff can end it. The staff, if the, if the culture is not ready for it as players, you have no chance. Right. Okay. No chance whatsoever. Well, I've got a, I get another question along these lines. The, the very first article you wrote that brought you to my attention was the one in which you advocated character versus character games and games that where there were winners and losers, essentially. The, the characters had goals that opposed other characters yeah. and yeah. how that could be a very positive thing. How do you feel yes, like that yeah. plays into this? Which is amazing, actually, because um, just to, you know, reopen the salt mine for a little bit. Of course. Uh, I have been accused of being a frustrated failed amp guard player. Right. A frustrated failed underground theater player. Right. A frustrated failed Nero player. Uh-huh. A frustrated failed every single LARP network you can think of. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate reaction is always, this person doesn't like competitive play, and he's not any good at it. <laughs> This from a guy who regularly, if I'm playing hardball, 
it's really, really amusing when a group of people who you absolutely know is trying to kill you, you walk in flanked by gargoyle bodyguards and every archbishop in the state and three elders. Right. When they start shit, I can play that game. I can. I don't like it. Okay. And I've been I've been LARPing for 17 years. So, but apparently I'm not any good at it. No, I just think it's stupid. <laughs> Like, it's not a game. So a lot of people play Nerdball like and really advocate for it. They think they found some sort of secret. But in reality, <laughs> it's just everyone else has realized that it's 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 not fun mm-hmm. and it kills the. That's that's and how I was, feel about it. Is it, it isn't fun to always win without effort. It's not even that to me. That game is fun for a while, but it, that fun runs out. And once you either get so good at it that you can't lose, or you get defeated in a way that you can't really come back from. It's not fun anymore. Now, stories, they will stay fun forever. Because you've always got something new to build on or some new creative bit of it. And uh, that that's my take on it, is that Nerdball's fun for about, I don't know, a couple of years, and then you're burnt out forever. I don't find it fun yeah, for more I, than I don't <laughs> at all. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, I have a question. You had mentioned culture, the culture of yeah. the game. Then how how do you cultivate that to be for your game to have Nerdball not want to be there? Like how <laughs> how do you make your players not want to play Nerdball? Well, I mean, I think OC familiarity is good. Making mm-hmm. sure that if you have these really tight groups of friends, and you make sure that they're inclusive, they have an open share policy. You identify toxic OSC behaviors and you deal with them, up to and including expelling people. Right. Um, or just putting them on break or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that you keep this us versus them mentality out of the, out of the picture. Um, you make sure that if people are giving each other high fives for any someone else's story, um, if your story requires you to end other people's stories in order to move forward with it constantly, mm-hmm. Your story sucks. I don't care how deep you think it is. Right. Um, and people should say that it sucks. It's like, well, I have this I have this character which is defined by the fact that he kills people. Well, you know what? I don't care how deep you are, and I don't have care all this. Go write a fucking short story. <laughs> uh, Fair, yeah. And, and, and stop making your experience more important than one, two, three, four, five, six people. Right. Or whoever else roves into your freaking vision. You know, you have to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, and that's a cultural thing where you just like, someone says, yeah, I got this totally good build and I killed this person. Someone should look at them and go, yeah, why'd you do that? That sucks. <laughs> and that suddenly and just completely breaks their brain sometimes. Because like they're not being rewarded for it point. out of game. Yeah, they're not getting, yeah, they're not getting done for it. And you base, that's part of like a broader theme of just you make them take responsibility for their effect on the game. You know, if you're making the game worse for everybody, you're making the game worse for anybody in a way that you did not have to, there's a problem. And you're responsible for that. It's like, well, the lore says, the lore says a whole bunch of fucking things. Right. And I, you know, and I'm like, it takes five minutes for me to come up with a reason to kill any character on the planet. It takes two minutes and a sense of common fucking decency to come up with a reason not to. Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's something we talk about on our early episode, and it's in Ryan's book, is the fact that, like, even at a tabletop game, if, say, your character 
if you're playing D&D and your character hates elves and there's another elf in the group, well, you better fucking come up with a reason why this this elf you don't hate. Or, or this or, is the elf I hate. No one else can be mean to him. Right. Or right. whatever, yeah. How many people do you dislike in your real life that you're conspiring to kill? There right. you go. <laughs> if that number is greater than and zero. I a lot of people, so I'm having a really good perception. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so maybe something like a staff can do is like when we're presented with like a character concept, like help players draft something that isn't as antagonistic then. Right. Or is antagonistic yeah. in a better way. In a different way, yeah. Yeah. And there's other things like uh, I've there's game there's games that have something uh, called a he needed to die system right or an escalation system where literally in order to like a, to do a CVC combat to the death you have to show your map as to how much provocation has occurred. So I've read about people who have played in systems like that, and it seems like that puts a lot of pressure on staff. Uh, because in the future, somebody's going to look back and go, well, you know, staff took his side and he let him kill me. Is there any way to be more transparent or to be, to deal with that issue? Um, transparency is always good. Um, with the secrets and powers game, which is sure. the term for like a uh, vampire LARP. Right. Other types of LARP where you have secrets and each character has different powers. Right. You know, it is what it says on the on the can. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very hard to be that open, especially in a long running campaign game. Right. And I think what you have to do is you have to have a storytelling staff which has earned a great deal of trust and has shown that they will say no. It's yeah. like we always say: the staff has to be above reproach. Right. That's why we don't ever play in our own games and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. You have to. People can't believe that you benefit from one group or another winning. Right, exactly. And then you have, like, you know, you make lashing out less effective. Right. You know, you can have every single game on the planet has gatekeeper NPCs who, who are playing the long game. Right. Right. There are people who are not willing to burn the entire United States to the ground just over one senatorial election. There's right. lots of people who are like, <laughs> we, can take, we can take one election loss instead of mounting open violent rebellion. There's other people who are, 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 are fine with that, but they're vastly outweighed by the people who actually like have the game. So, okay. So and, yeah. what I was going to say is we're getting a little close on time for a whole episode. Okay. And I just wanted to cover something real quick that uh, I also thought was fascinating. You wrote was about being a white hat and designing your org ethics and things like that. Yeah, that's a tough issue. It is a tough issue because, like, when we were... Well, well, before we explain what this means. Well, Matthew, do you mind since it was your article? So I have a background in um, computers, online network security, uh, that sort of thing. Oh, Carrie wants to know if you've ever mushed. (laughs) (laughs) I have run uh, that online chat game as an IRC game, so it's a close cousin. Exciting. Yeah. Um. But the, the, the Hacker's Guide to Engineering Player Safety, which you're referring to, right. basically takes mental, the mentality from um, computer hacking and it applies two terms. A black hat is someone who seeks to use a system for a destructive or selfish purchase, a purchase, purpose against the intention of his creators. That's so a black like, hat. So I'm a it black hat. Say, I want to hack into the government's computers so I can launch a missile at New York. 
Right. Okay. The, the, what qualifies as a black hat is just you want to use the system for a purpose that was not intended destructively. Right. Right, or selfishly. Okay. And as opposed to a white hat, which is someone who thinks like a black hat in order to secure the system and understands their tricks. So that's like the movie Sneakers. <laughs> yeah, that's what they are. Yeah. That's, that's a white hat hacker. Yeah. Okay. Is that they're making sure there's something is secure by thinking about if I was malicious, what would I do? Okay. So how does and this apply to organizations? The thing is, is that you have this uh, discussion about um, problem players, abusers, broken stairs, bullies, pathological liars, queen bees, uh, profiteers, self, you know, just narcissists, whoever, who use the LARPs organization systems for a purpose it was not intended for. Um, they use it for some sort of gratification. They use it to create a... Uh, a ecosystem that they can uh, be a predator in. They use all this stuff. And I think this applies to any organization, but I think in LARP there's a conversation going on about it. And there's been a push to create safety teams and safety advisors and all these sorts of organizations. And I'm looking at this from a, from a security standpoint, and I'm saying, like, the if you create a secret police to stop traitors, what is the number one target for traitors? To infiltrate the secret police. Absolutely, right? yeah. And if you create a safety team and you're a chronic abuser and a black hat, people often, often, people often underestimate how dedicated predators, abusers, and narcissists are to, to indulging themselves. Right. To a ridiculous extent. And the amount to which they're about, they're willing to lie, manipulate, befriend, and otherwise like campaign, in order to get the the uh, group that they want. And because of that, they create these systems with no idea. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was Trixie the Memory Hound just pranced across the <laughs> the tile here. <laughs> prance. She doesn't prance. She like. Shakes the entire yeah, house. She's, she's yeah. a moose. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So Matthew, what were you saying about? Well, something? I just think that people need to when they design systems, and if they read the whole article, um, the term "black hat" is useful for talking about somebody who's not simply someone who is emotionally abusive or a bully or a queen bee or any of these other things. What they are is someone who is those things or an enabler of those things, but is willing and able to use the systems that are meant to protect people against them because if you have a single point of failure where one person is handling all your safety or one group of people who all know each other ultimately anyone who controls that system and anyone who has influence over it and can control who gets to, whose complaints gets through mm -hmm. can ultimately excuse behavior right so if and you were really building doesn't matter how nice or prominent or uh how much of an advocate they are for safety or anything like that, because anything that we've learned in the last few years from everything from, you know, churches to Hollywood is that people who are looking to scratch this very kind of damaged emotional itch will adopt any persona possible and say anything necessary in order to do it. And the really crazy thing about all this is, is that most abusive personalities of all sorts are serial 
they do it several times. And whatever you do consistently, you get good at. So often, and but a person who's a victim is only a victim only once. Right. So the victim is the amateur and doesn't know how to act. The abuser knows how to act, unless they're, you know, it's their first time. And I promise you, by the time they get to your organization, they've been doing this through high school, if not earlier, they know exactly what they're doing. And you have to design systems with this level of paranoia because you're talking about people's safety. I would rather have seatbelts and never need one than need one once in my entire 20 years of driving and not have it. Fair. So uh, can I ask a technical question is what are you doing at your big game, at your games that you run now? What we have is we have an independent safety officer along, uh, along with an independent safety team. We also have a... Well, what do you mean by independent? Staff. Independent as in they're not on my payroll. Okay. Um, they have their own email that we do not watch. And it is an open thing, and you can be as anonymous. And we ultimately, we, we say, contact, contact us about any, everything. And we will take whatever steps are necessary to ensure everyone feels safe. Um, and more importantly, is safe in this situation. We have a full um, safety team that will be patrolling the event at all times to make sure that the rules for both physical safety and other types of safety are being followed and that all behavior is what is appropriate. Um, and we also, we also invite any feedback before and after game uh, and during game as to anything that's going on. And frankly, just from a personal standpoint, I have zero patience for people who prey on other people, whether for emotional jollies or otherwise. Right. I have no, I have no, um, as someone who works with and uh, counsels bully children and high schoolers, and I know the kind of damage that kind of stuff can do, I have zero patience for people like that. And I will, I will have what a, a, a longtime player and fan of mine called, I will silverback their asses. <laughs> I may steal that term. That's, yeah, that's a great good. term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I've always, I've always said that, you know, rules aren't made for people who follow them. And, and whenever people get upset that we've got rules for, you know, to try and make things safer or, or better or less uh, problematic, you know, it's, it, it, all you can do is just say sorry, but you know this is the world that we live in now, unfortunately. And it's always been that world. We just see it better now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that you know, well, that's one of the silver linings of all these things coming out is people are actually having this conversation, and actually they're realizing that a much broader group of people are affected by these behaviors, and these behaviors look a lot of different ways. Right. And I think that that conversation is ultimately very healthy to have, um, both from like our general civilization to just our hobby and. I think that also, you know, we have to see that we need to take the research. We need to take this very seriously and say that, you know what? Predators often don't look like what we expect them to. One of the hardest things in dealing with teachers and teaching them how to recognize bullies is untraining them to see that the, the like, muttering, grousey kid, big kid, who dresses like, you know, dresses to look mean is the bully. He's often the victim. The actual bullies are usually the clean-cut ones because bullies and emotional predators and physical predators will chameleon, and they will look to however, whatever looks innocent to the authority figure, they will look like. 
they do not look like you know Nielsen or Nelson from uh, right. Simpsons. Yeah. No, and I never had a bully who looked like Nelson. All my bullies would look they like... They weren't yellow? Right. They were not yellow. Okay. There were always clean-cut blonde guys on the football team who mm. uh, were classically good-looking. And this Those is, were the real monsters. And this <laughs> is why... You know, this is something else I always say, like, kind of quietly, but, like, this is also why the people you see complaining most about problems like this in LARPs are usually very often uh, the source of the problem in one way or another. Because or they're trying to it. get into the safety. Yeah. They're trying to be trusted. Yeah. At least that's yeah, been my experience. Mean, and we're seeing that with, um, I mean, the, to, on a far more serious level, I mean, we how many times have we seen in, uh, you know, other types of like sexual abuse, you find these advocates like, mm-hmm. or... You know, mm-hmm. there's a reason why, like, people who, who are abusers seek trust positions. They right. become counselors and preachers and all these people that have this kind of halo around them. And they will work hard to get those positions because this is a mental problem. These right. people have deep hungers and they're dark hungers and they will go for it. And that exists in our community and we can't ignore it. But one thing I want to, I kind of want to round back to sure. is that Please. I've written a lot of things about LARP. <laughs> right. All right. I've written good things. You, you mentioned like the Let's Fight article. Please go read it. If you think that I'm just the biggest jerk on the planet for writing a LARP <laughs> article, turn around and read the Let's Fight article. I, I love it's Let's Fight. A lot better. And let, Let's Fight is about how great competition can be with people and mm-hmm. how to make it healthy, right? And how to keep it healthy. Well, I'm going to say um, it changed my mind about a lot of stuff because I was kind of going towards the the Nordic style and thinking that maybe what's wrong with all these vampire games I've played over the years is the fact that they're mechanically driven instead of being consent driven. And I was like, you know what? Chess is fun. Checkers are fun. These are competitive games. Heck. And chess is an equal playing field. That's right. What if... And chess chess has ratings that let you be matched with people who you have a chance with. Sure. Chess has all these things that are really help it be healthy. Right, it can be really, really fucking toxic. So every everything can be. Child of grandmasters. <laughs> <laughs> We've all uh, seen the musical. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's it, it is it's great. I mean, but I'm not going to say that any one type of game is immune to this, and that's part of what the last fight article was saying. Competitive play is healthy. Not all of it is healthy. But not all of cooperative play is either. Yeah, not not all collaborative play is healthy as well. It can be, uh, you know, a a pit of peer pressure and like silence problems. But mm-hmm. the thing is that the LARP community is actually really fantastic, and a majority of people are there for the right reasons. You know, my and experiences are largely good. I've met the best friends I've ever had. I've met some of the best people I've ever known. And I've right. met Jason, and he's gotten to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I met I, I met my partner of 14, 15 years, Steph. Well, that makes online vampire. Well, that makes and all of us. Yeah, I, yeah. She was my first LARP storyteller, and right. I was like, oh. nailed it. Oh. <laughs> oh. This is what I want. This is what I want forever. There is all this good stuff that comes out of LARP. There's people who say I'm healthier. I get out more. Yeah, I'm over my social anxiety. Yeah. I've done all this other stuff. There's, it is such a great community. And there are people out there who are in really prominent positions who really care from, you know, the national staff of the MES to, you know, underground theater to even One World by Night that I've had. I've had the joy of dealing with all these people doing the, the, uh, the night in question. And all of them really care. 
And there's some really great people out there. And I've had some fun experiences. I've had some amazing experiences. I've met some amazing friends. I've met people I never would have met otherwise. I'm, I'm flying out to Southern California next month in order to have the time of my life. And I know I'm going to have a great time no matter what. And even if my character dies, I know I'll be surrounded by friends. And there are some really great experiences out there. And the reason I write these things, the reason I talk about the bad stuff, is that I think that we need to be aware of these in order so that people can still have good experiences. And I'm tired of my games getting, uh, getting a bad rep like Vampire when they just need some fixes. Yeah, that's and absolutely true. And they need to realize what the problem is. Because the, uh, the issue has become is that there's people who said, we're going to fix this by not playing Vampire anymore. And they turn around and they make other games that repeat the same sense. Well, I've played in PvE and, buffer LARPs that had the same problems that I see in Vampire every day. The Vampire might yeah. attract a few more of them, and the style of play it is being competitive seems to bring it out. But I've seen it just as much in PvE as I have in anything else. And, the, yeah, in Boffer LARP, you get different problems, like physical intimidation. Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. actually people putting people in physical danger mm -hmm. with their behavior and laughing about it. Yeah. I mean, all these places have different problems, and all of them need to be addressed. And I want my games to be healthy. I want everyone to have happy, and I don't want LARP to ever have a bad reputation with people. And I love this medium. I love this game. I've been doing it semi-professionally now. I've done it for years. I've been doing it for 17 years. I see a lot of positive in it, and I don't want people to get that I'm just sitting there ragging on it. And people are, you know, people said, well, you're obviously just bitter about one experience. And I'm like, you know what? Even if I was, which I'm not, but even if I was, an article is not shared 2,000 times because it's one isolated experience. Nobody else identifies with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. you know what? I think part of the reason why LARP in particular seems to be at the leading edge of this is because we're most of us are pretty sensitive to these issues, and, mm -hmm. and we want them to be fixed. We want to continue to be part of LARP groups or, for that matter, tabletop groups, mushes, whatever – and we see it more than other groups see it inside themselves. And we're and we're really thankful for the work that you're doing to to help bring those those things to light, and also to make things better. And, right. And so, uh, thank you very much for for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. I just want people to love it, love my hobby as much as everyone else does, and I want my hobby to be easy to love. That's, okay, Ryan, yeah. how many experience points does he get this week? Oh, you know what? So, all right, so uh, you you're gonna get uh, ten experience points for for joining us. That's for attendance. Uh, we're also going to give the still frame image of you frozen on your computer another five XP because uh, that was awesome. That's yeah. right. And you know what? He's the only one who actually did a downtime. <laughs> I have another downtime action to submit. Oh, Hold on. Yeah. You can find out more about the night in question or other projects at jackalope-larp. On Facebook and Twitter. And we'll put those links in the in the show notes as well. So Absolutely. good luck with the night in question. We really hope that it goes phenomenal. Uh, I, we're, I, I'm not allowed to go because because Carrie doesn't like uh, Sabat. But the <laughs> okay, well, thanks for throwing me you in the whole episode without saying that. Wow, wow. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I, I grew up Catholic, so it's just really weird. That's why they have ten kids. <laughs> it, it's just it's just weird to like see like my my religion 
role played out as vampires. Like, yeah. I, it's like, no. Embrace the weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, no. All right, well, thank you so much, Matt, Matthew. We really, really appreciate you yeah, joining thank us. Thank you. Uh, until Thanks next time, this is the Honor Roll Podcast. Remember, the only way to win a role-playing game is to have, have fun. All of the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Honor Roll Podcast belong to just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else. All of the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com.